If you were with us on Good Friday, you heard that as I was reading our gospel text for this year, I noticed something that I have never really noticed before. Jesus was buried in a garden. Now, as a lover of gardens myself, I was kind of excited to learn about this. And as I thought about what I might preach for you on this holiest of Sundays, I just couldn't get away from the image. As I read about what happened to Mary and the other disciples in the garden, I began to think about all the different things that have happened to me in gardens. Now, spoiler alert, encountering a dead guy isn't one of those things thank God. But nevertheless, I have had a few pretty powerful experiences in them. A few Easter seasons ago, I had a really interesting thing happen. We'd moved into the first parsonage of the first church that I was ever appointed to. And since new appointments begin in July, the springtime is over. And so therefore, most of the growing season is over as well. When we first moved in, we weren't really able to plant anything, not flowers or vegetables or fruit, because it was too hot to start anything new, and most of what was already there had come and gone, so we really had no idea what was in the yard. And so the following spring, about eight or nine months later, I was leaving the house one morning, and after I had tied my shoes and I put on my coat, I opened the screen door and I stepped out onto the front porch, and as I looked to my right, down in the flower bed just below our living room window, I saw this beautiful row of rainbow-colored tulips. It was almost as if they had sprung up overnight, because before this morning, I hadn't noticed them even beginning to bud. And as an amateur gardener, I never really had tulips before, so as you can can imagine, I was pretty excited. Um, Also, as a millennial, I started taking selfies with the tulips, and I put them all over Instagram. And then when I got to my office and I looked at my calendar, I had determined that these beautiful tulips, they were nothing short of a little Easter miracle. For me, that Easter was only two weeks away, and so I took them as a sign that this would be the most wonderful Easter in the most wonderful spring season that I ever had. I went home that day and I took more pictures like a good millennial would. They looked a little dry, and so I went inside and I filled up a pitcher of water, and I came back outside to make sure that they had enough to drink. I was tempted to even name them before I talked myself out of that because I didn't need the neighbors looking at the new neighbor and thinking that I was loopy for talking to my flowers. I'll admit I was a little extra about the tulips that day, but I had determined that I was going to be the best darn tulip mom this planet had ever seen. Little did I know that three days later I would come out onto my front porch with the intent to care for my new little babies And I would find that the infamous neighborhood groundhog had dug his way up through the center of my garden and had begun pulling the tulips out to eat their bulbs. By the time I got to them, I could only salvage about half. The other half had been destroyed, their rainbow-colored petals scattered like the remains of someone's belongings after a tornado had hit. And I was livid. If these tulips were supposed to be a good sign of the new life Easter brings, well, then what in the world should I expect now? 
To make matters worse, during those same two weeks just before Easter, we were told that we were moving again. A patient that I had worked with at the psychiatric hospital I was employed at at the time had died, and it rained on Easter morning. Christ is risen indeed. I say all of this because when we gather on Easter Sunday, we gather to proclaim a profound mystery and a pretty unbelievable one at that, don't you think? Jesus has been raised, death has not won, and new life is more than just a nice possibility. In fact, this is precisely what the author of John would want his readers to take away from this story. Known for all kinds of poetic imagery, it's not an accident that he's the only author of all the Gospels who situates Jesus' resurrection in a garden. It's the quintessential site where new life is raised and new creations are born again. But I do find it a little ironic that we come here year after year and proclaim this mystery with a kind of certainty that even the first disciples who had seen the risen Christ with their own two eyes didn't have then or maybe ever. In fact, no one who showed up in the garden that first Easter morning thought that new life was easily recognizable or certain or actually attainable. I imagine that at least for some of us, we can relate to that, can't we? Perhaps you've come here this morning and this story of new life doesn't have you entirely convinced either. Nothing about your life or your present circumstances, your faith, the prospects of your future, or even the world's affairs would lead you to believe that new life is here or just around the corner. Others of us, we come here year after year on Easter morning determined to be certain that we know exactly how Jesus' resurrection happened and saves us so that we can go about our day and our lives with a kind of cheerful optimism that all is well or that at least it will be soon enough. But eventually, even this cheerful optimism tricks us all, like when a groundhog shows up in our garden or when just about everything in our lives seems to fall apart, or the news gets worse every day, I'm convinced that most of us reach a point in our lives when we have to ask ourselves the question, what does the Easter story mean for me now? As I read through this old, old story again and again every year, I'll tell you what stands out to me this year. In the middle of their own doubt, After perhaps the three most excruciating days of their lives, Mary and the disciples, they respond to this ludicrous invitation that Jesus offers them in the garden. And it's not just an invitation to simply believe that all is well now that Easter has come and gone and the tomb is empty. It's an invitation, a call on their lives, really, not to believe that all is well, but to help make it well. When Mary realizes Jesus is not the gardener, but her teacher, she does as she is invited, and she goes to tell of her experience to others who might need hope as much as she did. When Jesus encountered his disciples in their boat looking for fish the following morning, he reminded them that in the same way he provides for them and their needs, they are called to provide for the needs of others. And at breakfast that same morning when Jesus and Peter were speaking to each other in perhaps the last conversation that they would ever have, Jesus said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. 
Well, I'm sure that the news of their friend Jesus walking around again was good and exciting and maybe even hopeful, like some of us may feel this morning. As far as I can tell, most of them weren't exactly sure of what any of this actually meant for their lives in those first few days or in the many afterward. Except that apparently all of the most important things Jesus had taught them while he was still alive still mattered. That loving God and loving each other so that the kingdom of God might come to reign was still the call on their lives. And its demand for their time and their attention was maybe more pressing now than it ever was. It's easy to come here on Easter morning and to think that the salvation we need was something that was accomplished 2,000 years ago on that first Easter morning in the garden somewhere. And it's also pretty easy to get discouraged when our salvation feels further away than perhaps it ever has. But as best I can tell, the salvation of God for the disciples and for us has always been an ongoing work. A work of transformation that God accomplishes with the help of those like you and me in real time. If we, like the disciples, choose to be courageous and accept the invitation like in our children's sermon this morning, reminded us we are called to become prisms of light in the world so that others might know the beauty and the colorful diversity of God that exists in every time, place, person, and creature, and that we might all come to know the value of their lives in this community of belonging that we're all invited into. When I think of what the Easter story means to me now, how it's evolved for me over my many years, maybe not as many as some of you. I think about a few tangible experiences that I've had, maybe even just in the last few weeks, that remind me that resurrection is still possible and happening and saving us today. I think about how one of you this week told me that you spend a good portion of your work and life with fourth graders in the inner city of New York, teaching them about the environment and doing experiments with them to show them that they can play a helpful role in the healing of the world. And I think about how one poor woman this week was able to receive enough financial assistance to buy her grandchildren chocolate Easter bunnies that she wouldn't have been able to afford otherwise so that they could have a nice Easter together. I think about the churches over the last few months who've been more vocal about the fact that they're a place for all people to worship and belong. Because sometimes our churches aren't clear enough about that. And I think about all the people for whom this choice that churches have made has renewed their sense of hope in God and in church communities around the world. And I think about our Maundy Thursday service this past week where a younger sister washed the hands of an older sister. A child washed the hands of his mother, and a mother washed the hands of her child. And a husband washed the hands of his wife. Reminders that we are all here on this earth, first and foremost, to serve each other. When we gather here on this day every year, we remember that Easter is not simply a time when we are allowed to hide behind our cheerful optimism and remember a story from 2,000 years ago that says Jesus paid it all and so that we can all be certain that life will always go well for us in the future. Easter, instead, is our call story. It's a story that reorients our lives every year and reminds us that we are invited to participate in a love so strong that it can help make well. For the lives of ourselves, our neighbors, our enemies, our earth, the stranger, and so many others, if we choose to receive the invitation. 
If I'm honest, as someone who always hopes to be growing in my faith, I kind of hope we never stop having reasons to ask ourselves the question, what does the Easter story mean for me now? The Easter story always encounters me a little differently every year, and it enables me to see God's call on my life, which may remain the same, but always is offered in new life-giving ways. In the commands to love thy neighbor, feed my sheep, and to let the light of God shine through our lives so deeply that thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And all God's people said together, Amen.